Alex Benayan is the author of The Third Door, and he's back again to share his incredible stories and just have a beautiful conversation of everything that we've been moving through in our life. He's one of the greatest conversationalists and a really good friend. Enjoy this podcast with Alex Benayan. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Inside Tracker. So as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization. And so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification. Sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on. And to do that, you need some support. And one of the best services to come about is called Inside Tracker. Our good friend Andrew Huberman backs them and supports them. They really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work, but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science-backed recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke advice and can be really valuable. So if you're interested, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash AMP. Once again, insidetracker.com slash AMP for 25% off. And finally, we have on it. Now, I have all of the Onnit supplements in the world and even some other supplements. My supplement cabinet is stocked and oftentimes I'll still pick and choose which pills I want. But recently I've been really busy doing a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of writing, doing a lot of things. So I've just switched entirely to the Total Human Packs because what the Total Human Packs are is that is a one-stop day pack and night pack that has all the goodies that you need in it and you don't even have to think about it. So I just wake up in the morning still a little groggy. I have a little bit of sea salt in my water and I rip open the day pack, done. And at night when it's time to go to bed, rip open the night pack, swallow it down, done. It's so easy to do and I feel so good. And honestly, when I was doing my own thing, sometimes just out of sheer convenience, I wouldn't take any supplements and then I wouldn't be as optimized as I am right now just taking the total human because the total human is designed to have absolutely everything that anyone needs. Check it out. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. You get 10% off all the time on everything. Sometimes there's a free trial. Otherwise, you just lock in the discount. So go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Alex Benayan. <laughs> Do you want to finish that thought? Or? I was just going to say the past two years, a lot of it for me has been, you know, when doctors want to find out what you're allergic to, they take everything away and then they like oh, yeah. introduce them one at a time. That was me elimination diet. Elimination. I was in on elimination diet. They're like, all right, here's your entire lifestyle. We're taking it all away. You know, your yoga class, you're going to the gym, your in-person speaking, in-person podcast, taking it all away. And then one by one, we're going to reintroduce. And mm -hmm. I've been seeing like the past six months what I'm allergic to mm -hmm. um, and what is like fuel for my soul. And what is it? The fuel for the soul. What are you allergic to and what's your fuel for the uh, soul? The allergic to, I have this like weird term I call it, like suppressive energy. 
Okay. You know, like when you're at a dinner party with people and you just tell they all just suppress all of their emotions. Yeah. And I didn't even realize how much that affects me until recently. I can't even be in the room. It, or I can be in the room. It's just painful. Uh-huh. Um, and which emotions, which emotions in particular that someone is suppressing, can you tell? Or do you just feel like there's a flatness, to, yeah. there's a flatness to their expression that's not getting into the deeper waters? You know when you ask waters? them, how are you? It's like, good, 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 good. How are you? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that one time, but when I'm in a room where the whole thing is that, I love them, God bless them. It, it just it makes me, I think I feel a little like unsafe. Sure. Because I'm cause like it's... the person when I sit with you, I'm like, oh, let's <laughs> yeah, just talk yeah. about whatever, you know? Right. Like I know when I'm with you, I can say whatever and you can say whatever and it just like feels very open. Uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic because it is, I haven't really identified it as that and nor have you used obviously the language of suppressive energy, but it's also, pro it's also a projection energy as well because mm -hmm. they're not only suppressing the truth but they're projecting an artificiality what they want they're, you to see they're projecting some yeah. veneer of everything's fine or i'm the, this persona but it's not the real real and some personas are actually quite if someone is really skilled at it a persona can actually be be interesting yeah you know, and usually they have to fuel it with something real if the persona is interesting. But a lot of people, like say, they just, it's like a boring persona that's not true. And <laughs> But there's always something, there's always something beautiful and interesting and intoxicating about truth. That's the thing. They're thinking they're doing something good, but really they got the diamonds, man. They got the fucking diamonds right under the surface. And if they just peel off that gray, dull layer of suppression, they're going to be revealing like, an iced out fucking character and i love characters like give me yeah. a, a happy character depressed character a confused character like i will love to sit with someone at hearing that they are completely lost in their life i'm fascinated yeah totally but hearing oh i'm good things are great work is great family is great thank god how about you like i'm like yeah, <laughs> i think someone's calling me in the other room uh -huh. and like i don't know why i think maybe in my childhood i had a lot of that so i would Maybe it makes me feel unsafe. I don't know, but I just like, I like the messiness. Well, there is a psychological, there is a psychological, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a truism because I don't always believe it, but people in psychology often say that those things that trigger you are things that have bothered you about yourself. Mm. So do you feel that you have ever expressed that? At my worst, yeah. Yeah. Totally. At my worst, at my lowest, at my even when even when the third door was coming out, there was a part of me that felt I had to, I had to do that. Um, I don't know. If we talked about it. Like mm. the the year before the book came out, my dad passed. My friend, who we've known each other since we we're five years old, she passed away at age twenty five. Two days after the book came out, my grandpa died. Thirty days later, my grandma died. There was a part of me that even when the book came out had to be 90 percent real, right? But the ten it just wasn't appropriate to go on NBC News and cry. Like it yeah, just yeah, isn't yeah. appropriate. So it would have uh, been a gangster move, actually. <laughs> you know, it's like it's the interesting thing in a is, weird in a weird way. I get what you're saying. You yeah. know, in a in a weird way, it would have been that disruptive thing where I mean, I don't. It may not have worked at all. 
but I'd always err on the side of like, but maybe it would, <laughs> it's, you know, but maybe fuck it. Like but I maybe, can see the headline, like random 25 year old sobs on NBC <laughs> news about his grandmother. <laughs> like, but, but it really, if they aired that though, you know, like the attention would be like, man, I put everything I could into the third door and it was fucking amazing. But right now I'm just broken because my, you know, yeah. my best friend died and I'm just, you know, I, I'm praying that this book reaches people and gives them inspiration because mm. right now I'm broken and that's what I'm clinging to. And they, and then the, then the fucking newscasters who are the worst at this shit, oh, blah, 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 blah. Who the fuck are you? What is, what do you really feel? What is this nonsense? They might've been like, oh wow and then some real shit might have happened and then the yeah. diamonds that the iced out character of both of you might have started sparkling and that's the interesting thing about vulnerability is even in the most you know inappropriate place it still has this transformative power it's magic that that realness is magic and i think that's what you're saying like you want to be in a magical world where like magic is happening. And cultivate it consciously. Yeah, Not totally. just when I'm at my best, but how do I consciously cultivate the diamonds? Um, I like calling it the diamonds. That's a good way to see it. Because yeah. even the the sadness is a diamond. Even the grief is a diamond. Totally. Even the confusion is a diamond. How do you cultivate a life where you're just pulling diamonds every day? That's the enemy of the poet. It's the numbness. Mm. It's the dull sticky film that uh, covers all uh. the gems that makes everything homogenous and gray and and then you can project with your little projector screen of your mind whatever you want on the gray film that's covering your actually imperfect flawed but beautiful you know diamonds and and that's that's the that's the enemy because if you're feeling it's just like a different chord on the piano of all of the possible mm. energy that you could mm. feel when you zoom out to the divine perspective, when it's that pure note, whatever it is, whether it's grief or whether it's joy or whether it's lust or whatever, it's just like, whatever, it's just a fucking, it's the, it's the church organ of the divine and it's playing. Dude, you're so good. <laughs> this is like you're like speaking to my soul right now. But like, actually like that's, and the craziest part is I, if I have to be very real and look at, all the moments in my life where I have the film, I did it to myself. Yeah, And I did it to myself out of fear of what would happen if I actually felt the full church organs. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's scary. Those things are deep, man. When you really, really feel, that's one of the things that that psychedelics can do, which I really love, particularly mushrooms, is I had a mushroom, like a, I did a three-day fast and I did a mushroom ceremony at the end just really to cleanse myself it's like a kind of like a purification ritual before our last fit for service event which was stunning by the way but i would think about things that i was like normally like a little bit excited about like that's cool but i would think about them and i would feel the full force of it or look at something like i remember there's a new movie coming out called cyrano with okay. with peter dinklage and okay. it's cyrano's my favorite play of all time cyrano de bergerac yeah and they're remaking that's the guy with the nose or, yeah so yeah. in the in the play he has the nose and that's what makes him unattractive and that's what makes him feel like he's unworthy of having roxanne love him so he gives christian the the beautiful cadet all of his letters and words and right. so roxanne falls in love with christian because he's beautiful and it's cyrano's words but she's really falling in love with the soul of cyrano so it's this tragic beautiful tragic love story with like my favorite hero of all time it, but they recast it with Peter Dinklage's Cyrano. So it's not about his nose, but he's, 
you know, he's a, a little person. Hmm. And that's way more interesting than just having like a, a big nose, right? Like, oh, that's fucking it. That's it's and it's beautiful. And so, anyways, when I was, I was, ex- I'm really excited about this. I think it's a beautiful retelling of this. And I was thinking, and it just hit me. I was like, this is fucking great. This is great. This is a great thing. And I just kept saying, like, this is a great thing. I was just thinking about the societal implications and the message that this story brings and how it's bringing in this awareness of loving someone despite being different. And it just, mm. it just fucking blew my mind, you know? And I looked out at Bear Mountain at another time and it was just like, wow, this is unbelievably beautiful. Wow. And we get so few of these moments where we really feel that thing like to the fullest and whatever it is you don't need medicine psychedelics to do this whatever but somehow some way we gotta tap into that awe Mm. again Mm. where it's not that dull church organ from three doors away where you're just casually passing by and like what's that note oh it's joy but i'm not in the room we want to be in the keys yourself be banging the keys we want to be in the pipes we want to be in the pipes of the organ just I don't know, you know, there's a million way, different ways to get there, but one way or another, like we gotta find our way there. It could be tantra, it could be breath work, it could be meditation, it could be just choice, it could be whatever, but we gotta find our way to feel the fucking feels because that's what we're here for. My biggest takeaway from studying success for 10 years is that people aren't looking for success, they're looking for that. Yeah. Because I know people, and I know you know people who have achieved societal success got a $100 million exit, got a billion on Bitcoin and still are miserable. And when they hear you talk about that, they say, I, I want that. Mm-hmm. Which is definitive proof that it's not the 100 mil, it's that. Yeah, people are chasing sensations, not things. Yeah. They want, what do we want? What do we really want? Well, we were promised that things would give us a sensation. Right. If you watch Wolf of Wall Street, the movie, it tells you if you have the money, then you'll feel this sensation. Sure. If your girl looks like this, if your guy looks like that, you'll feel this. Right. And then we get to the mountaintop and we say, this doesn't feel at all what they said it would feel like. Yeah. And then you go back into the valley and start doing the work if you're lucky. Yeah. And Or there's some kind of chain of causality that gets you something that will make you feel something <laughs> like, listen, the, go back to Scarface. First you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women, right? So like the whole thing was just a play to get women. Right. And women will make you feel something, or men, conversely. But, but eventually... It it won't, it, you know, you can get absolutely like hedonic tolerant to that expression as well, because all of these things that we chase extrinsically will not satisfy our intrinsic desire ultimately. I mean, we can use them, but we got to really find that shit internally. But yeah, so much of everything we're promised, we're, we're all of these different extrinsic things, all of these achievements are told are going to give us something and they will for a hot moment. But then we'll have the fear of losing them, the distress about what if it doesn't happen, and the endless quest to find the exponential (laughs) next thing that's even bigger. Like if you make ten million, it's not like making you know another ten million is exciting. You gotta you gotta go exponential. You gotta make a hundred million once you get to ten to even give you into an addiction in its own right. Fuck yeah, it does. And if you get to a hundred million, well, billions the only thing that's gonna make you happy. And guess what? It's still not gonna fucking make you happy. That's the challenge. It's it is hard to unless 
Like yourself, you devote your life to studying this. It is hard to wrap your mind around the idea that essentially is counter to everything we're sold in movies and TV that a X amount of external success isn't going to make me feel good. It's just hard to wrap your mind around if you just grew up in America watching movies and TV. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you see the cheerleader is the one that makes the guy or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, It's literally taken me 10 years on this journey to come to this, these realizations. The thing that it will do is there's, it's, there's a variety of different common challenges that people express. One of the challenges is a deeply ingrained belief that I'm here to do something big and important and I'm here to accomplish something great. And it is fundamentally important to satisfy that urge, I think, in some ways. It's better to have that urge be very purpose-driven. I'm here to accomplish something great, not just for myself, but for the world. And hopefully those things are woven together. So you can reach a point where you do get some satiation of that because that can alleviate uh, a certain amount of depression. Like, for example, I was very depressed in my late 20s going into 30 because I was you know, I was running a marketing company. I was helping sell fucking fleshlights and oil and gas and fucking all kinds of whatever I could, right? Uh, I was so depressed. I was like, man, I made a left turn when I should have made a right turn. And here I am running this tiny marketing company boutique selling stuff that is whatever. And, and I wasn't happy. And then I started you know, I built on it up and it did give me this sense of like, okay, now I'm doing something. I'm doing something that's doesn't mean that it ultimately fulfilled it, but it just shifted things to a slightly different type of problem. And it's almost like there's an evolution of problem solving. So I don't want to denigrate the idea that this doesn't solve any problems. It does solve some problems. It just won't solve all the problems. It'll just shift the problem. And maybe yeah. like maybe that lily pad strategy of like, okay, solve this problem, then this problem, then this problem. Then finally you can get to the universal problem, which is all about how much you fucking love yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we can end the podcast right there. But that's essentially the conclusion, right? Yeah. But that's the whole life, you know, there's this great Paulo Coelho code that says life is a long march from fear to love. That's beautiful. That's it. What else is there? Yeah. Everything else is just an attempt to get close to that statement. Yeah. But what else is there? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's almost like love to fear to love. Hmm. You well, know, you're born with it. You're born in this loving and you're even in the womb in this loving. You go from love then into separation and then finding your way back from separation. Separation implies fear, but then, well, then back the, to love. So it's a circle. That's, that's the circle. Uh-huh. That's oh, that's lit. actually almost better. Sorry, Paulo. We, <laughs> we just made it better. It's not a march. Paulo, if you have a problem a, with this, please come on my podcast. Well, do I would you know love what the to thing? talk to you about it and everything else. I love Paulo Colo. I love him too. Well, that's the alchemist. The alchemist you know, spoiler mm-hmm. alert. It, yep. The end of the book ends where he began. Yeah. It's it's the classic hero's journey. You're, you're back where you started, but not the same person. But not the same person. Yeah. And But at the same time, what I grapple with and i'm very aware of is everything you and i are saying makes perfect sense in the macro but if you're in the trenches and you're actually struggling with what you want to do with your life figuring out what's next this stuff sort of can be even frustrating to hear yeah when you're in it when you're in it you don't know what to do when you're at your big job at google that you thought would bring you happiness and you actually hate your job but you can't tell anyone because you don't want to sound ungrateful 
this, you know, finding love and finding yourself and loving yourself stuff sure. can actually make you want to pull your hair out. Sure. And also, you can be me now. And with all of this awareness, my ability to eloquently go on a excited, passionate <laughs> rant about this and still not be abiding by it yeah. to a full degree, still finding myself with that constricting kind of angst in my chest of like, I need to do more. I must do more. I'm not doing enough. What else can you do? That thing that wakes me up in the morning and puts me to sleep at night and has me still reaching for you know, different things to help me fall asleep because I'm constantly racing about that next thing I can do when I still simultaneously know it doesn't matter, man. Like, but it's hard. It's hard to like, it does matter. That's the thing. It does matter because people, it is affecting people. And that's the hard part that I can't seem to get around is it's less about how much I love myself, which was, I think the first huge hurdle I was like, look, man, you can love yourself no matter what you do. I'm still working on that. I'm not saying like I got that fucking nailed, even though psych psychologically, yeah. philosophically I got it. But the hard part is like, what do you do when you know that every DM you respond to, every single one I respond to is a very meaningful experience for someone. And and this is not like fluffing myself no, and no, patting no, myself on the back, but like it really is. You're reaching your hand back out. I'm reaching my hand back out and giving like some private attention. And but I can't do that. I get hundreds a day. I can't do that with everybody. Every post I make gets hundreds of comments and thousands of people read, like, thank you for posting this. Like, blah, blah, blah. Every newsletter, every, every fucking thing I produce has an impact that's positive. So then this is where I find myself in a dilemma. It's like, well, you better not rest. If you, you say you love people, yeah, I fucking love people. Well, what are you doing, bitch? Get up. That sounds like guilt. It's this almost like this urgency. Yeah, it's like this urgency to like, but it is driven by love, not not shame or judgment. It's like, yeah, I fucking love people. I love pe I love helping people. I really do. And there's some other shit mixed in. There's a little bit of ego mixed in. There's a little bit of guilt mixed in. There's a little bit of guilt for, you know, responsibility for all of the advantages right, that i've right. had in my life there's there's different stuff in the cocktail but the purest part of the cocktail is that i love people and if i stop i feel like i'm not loving them as much as i could and that's what that's what's the the challenging thing and i have to always tell myself it's probably why i created fit for service to remind myself and everybody that like in order to be of service you first must be fit for service and i gotta take this time for myself but I have a hard ass time doing it. This problem you're having didn't exist 200 years ago. Right. If you were in your village and you were like helping people, you were helping like 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were yeah. like, thank you so much, Aubrey. <laughs> like our life is so much better because yeah. you are head of our clan. Like God bless you. Like, and you were like, man, no, nah, I'm going to go back to my family tonight. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. And you were good. And maybe you would go out to another village, help, and then you would retreat back. But like, millions hundreds yeah. of thousands it's never happened before yeah right alexander the gray didn't interact with millions of people a day yeah. with a single post it just didn't happen so there's a lot of problems that we're facing just in the past 10 to 20 years that have never happened in all of human history that feeling you're describing is not written in alexandria yeah you know archives yeah. It's a new, the elements are real. The elements are human, but the exact experience is different. 
when you talk to people, and this has been a part of what you've been doing recently, is you've been exploring this issue. Mm-hmm. What do you? What solutions are people having? What lessons are are you distilling? Like, what are these conversations that you're that you're currently having? It's all about the evolution of really the third door. Is this quest to help people find their next chapter? Because the biggest thing I've realized is when people actually get that sense of possibility that yes, you know, there's always a way. The question becomes for them well, what's next? Mm-hmm. And I'll share an insight, but I'll share a practical tool because at the end of the day, people want something to do. The insight- Let's let's pause for one second because there's some people who haven't watched our podcast about the third door. Just explain, before you get into this, yeah. explain the premise and principle of the third door. So I love that you smile when you say it makes me happy. Yeah, because I fucking think back to the amazing stories you told on the last podcast of your examples of finding the third door. Like, go, but I'll let you go ahead. So pretty much for, as you know, for the past 10 years, I've just been obsessively studying success. So I've spent thousands of hours researching, going through hundreds of biographies, and most importantly, sitting down one-on-one interviewing people I was dying to get answers from. So for business, Bill Gates, music, Lady Gaga, science, Jane Goodall. Maya Angelou, Jessica Alba, Pitbull, Steve Wozniak, Quincy Jones. It's been this crazy journey. And essentially, it's all been focused on finding that mindset of success. What ended up happening is after all these years of research, I realized every single one of these people treated life and business and success the exact same way. And the analogy that came to me is it's sort of like getting into a nightclub. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance where the line curves around the block where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. That's the first door. And then we've all seen that line. Mm -hmm. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance where the billionaires and celebrities go through. Already established. Already established. You know, Kim Kardashian is going into whatever, right? Uh, Sasha Malia Obama going in, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's the second door. And society has this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn or you're born into it. But what I learned and what you've seen in your own career is there's always, always the third door. And it's the entrance where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. There was, I had a beautiful story that what I just heard from one of my best friends in the world, Makad Brooks, who's an actor. He was just in Mortal Kombat. And we were talking, and I'd never heard the story of his how he got his first acting job. And he had a part in here in Austin, and it was with, uh, I think it was with the director from, um, uh, what was Matthew McConaughey's All Right, All Right, All Right movie? Uh, mm. Fucking Dazing Views, okay. that, that guy. Anyways, it was, it was with him, Linkletter, Linkletter. So is it with, with Linkletter? What's his first name? Richard Linkletter. So- he had this, he had an audition and he didn't get callbacks, but he knew like- This, this is your buddy. Is, this is my buddy, Makad, okay. who was just Jax in Mortal Kombat. So successful actor. Uh, his first gig, he knew this was the right part for him. So he shows up at callbacks, uninvited. They call somebody else's name and he like casually, like he just gets up and he goes, <laughs> and he goes through the door and, and closes the, the, third door clo- thing I've ever closes yeah. the door and locks it. <laughs> yeah. And is like, hey, my name's Macab Brooks. I'm here. I'm from Austin. I'm, you know, born and raised here. And obviously, I know where the door is. If you don't want me to go, but if you give me five minutes, you know, I promise you, you won't, you, you won't regret it. 
And I think he credits like also the way saying it, like, you know, obviously I know where the door is, you know, letting him know like he told it's the a, truth. It's yeah, he didn't <laughs> it's lie. Okay. He didn't lie. Yeah. And he's like, if you give me five minutes, you won't regret it. And he was like, All right, I'll give you ten. Gave him that ten minutes, he got the part. That's the fucking class. It's the classicest third door story of all time. And there's not a single what you know, I didn't go into the interviews with the thesis that I was trying to figure out. I was just doing these interviews trying to just gather the information myself. Right. And then when you just have and what's cool about the third door, you know, if I could say you know, for myself or why I was so excited about it is there wasn't a single industry. I wasn't like, okay, let me go look at all the tech geniuses. And then, no, I had poets and scientists and actors and actresses and billionaires. And they all, this was the one thing, you know, Warren Buffett and Maya Angelou, not much in common. Yeah. Except they both took the third door, <laughs> right? Yeah. Jessica Alba and Pitbull, not that much in common. Jane Goodall and Quincy Jones, not much in common. But they all, especially early on in their careers, all had that. And I know your third door stories too. Sure. It was the Kentucky Derby story. Yeah. That's that my favorite of, of your third. <laughs> You've had a lot, but that's my yeah. favorite of your third door story. Yeah. But it's just, it's unavoidable. You're not going to achieve your dreams waiting in line, hoping someone calls you forward. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to make it for the door and make your pitch. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be this universal defining theme. And it's so important for people to realize that because also you have to have a sense. It's almost like for all of these people, there was a knowing that was beyond their thinking. It seems like if you're thinking like, I'm going to make this third door happen and you're thinking too much about it, the door's not even there. It's like the door is a magical Narnia type of door. And you have to be like tapped into your soul, or your daemon or whatever that thing is. Or you have to be tapped in to see the actual Narnia door that you can walk through. And you have to really believe it. It's like, a, it's like a fairy that if you don't believe in fairies, they die. It's an interesting thing. But it doesn't just come from sitting in a room and manifesting it. It comes from actually going. Yep. There's all these stories of like Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks, when he was raising the money for Starbucks. I think he got rejected from, the number's insane, like 214 investors. And it makes you go, how did the 215th say yes? Or Tim Ferriss for our work week, I think 26 publishers said no, 27th said yes. You actually have to go get punched in the face over right. and over and over again until you finally, oh, and then you get up one more time and then the Narnia door opens. Yeah. Right? It doesn't yeah, just yeah, yeah, magic. Yeah. And for some people, it might come on the first, but. it's Well, you could also say that the Narnia door is the is the door that they walk through that gives them the persistence to keep going, right? right. Like they've like Howard Schultz already walked through the door. Right. And from there, it was just like obstacle after obstacle, but he was through the door. And the door was, I'm never stopping. I believe in this so much. It's interesting. It's an interesting way to look at like where you place the door. I think for some people it's different. Sometimes it's that one-time thing. It's like you standing up at the prices right and going. It's like that one moment where you're like, fuck yeah, I'm doing this. And it was like that one instant where you did it just at the right time and just the right way. And Makad, the same thing, just the right yeah. time, just the right way. And then there's the other door, which is I'm going to walk through this door. And beyond this door is a never quitting pathway to success. And I'm going to find which way it is. It's just where the door is placed and where the window of opportunity is. But yeah, I mean, it it is literally everybody. Everybody has this story. In their own way. Yeah. And it's very good to way. point out that people like... I'm doing I'm doing sex magic and manifestation every day and it's going to happen. All right, well what else are you doing? Who are you sharing your poems with? Right. Like where are you putting your videos? How many people are you calling? Oh, I'm just manifesting and it's going to happen. No. 
No, it's not going to happen. Like you got to combine it. It's good. You got to do, do all it. that. Do and the it sex does, magic. And it does work. But it you got to combine yeah. it. You got to combine it. Do the sex magic. Do the laughter manifestation. Do the Joe Dispenza. Do the Jesus. Pray as if it has already been done. I fucking believe in all that. But it also requires like the effort too and the courage to like have the just moxie to go out there and get it. There's a great quote. Uh, I think it was from a golfer. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, yeah, the totally. harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> and by the way, I can resonate with that. I know you resonate with that too. Totally. We, you and I are both the same kind of guys who like behind on the you know the public, we're like, oh, we're so lucky. Behind the scenes, we're just pounding the pavement <laughs> yeah. and banging our head against the as writers too. Yeah. I write my best lines after banging my head against the wall for a week. Yeah. And then I sort of give up. Albert Einstein has this great story of I don't know what he was studying at the time, but he was studying something for just months banging his head against the wall. He couldn't come up with it. Couldn't come up with it. Couldn't come up with it. And then he gave up and was like, screw it. I'm done. And just went to go play backgammon with his friends, was rolling the dice and it came to him. <laughs> and again, was he just like, you know, that's the Narnia door, but it's sort of part yeah. of it was two months of banging his head against the wall. Yeah. And I think they all, you, you got to do both. It's a necessity. It's yeah. a necessity to do both. All right, we've explained the third door. <laughs> now you can go back to the current conversations that you're having and what people are what people are drawing. Well, so the, now the question is, all right, if if you want to take the third door, and especially after the, you know, past couple years that people have had, it's actually set what I've seen is there's more people wondering what they want to do in the next chapter of their life now than ever before. At least that I've been alive. I've never seen anything to the point where it's like without naming it. I was at a party a couple months ago, two o'clock in the morning on the dance floor. A Google exec comes up to me at 2 a.m. saying, I need your help. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Mm. I've gotten that at a business conference <laughs> and a, in a DM. Mm. But it's getting to the point now. It's almost like its own epidemic of people have either spent the past two years without you know, stable work and they've been staring at a wall into the abyss or they've been lucky that they've been able to work and things have been good, but it just hasn't felt right. Mm. And that's right now the US, I just read something crazy. Like the Bureau of Labor just put out a number that said more people have quit their jobs in a single month than ever in American history. Yeah, like over 4%, I think was the number. Ever. Most amount of people quitting. And those are the people who have already quit. Still currently- Half the people who have stayed at their jobs are considering quitting. Yeah. And in order, and in response to that, they like expanded the amount of hours that children could work. Oh, no. I and Russell Brand was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah. It's like very Dickensian, like fucking finding chimney sweeps to go yeah, up there. Yeah, that's, like, that's what it sounds it like. Was, it was really interesting. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is an issue and it's because- the vapid meaningless obsolescence of these different positions it. that we have, especially as it appears that the world is in a, in a sort of the early stage of existential crisis. Like yes. the world's trying to figure out who are we, what are we doing, why are we here, what is this old game that we've been playing, which is all zero sum, which is all me versus you. I'm fucking tired of this. This doesn't seem to be working. And it feels like if we continue down this path, it's only going to get worse. So I think it's like this collective awakening that's happening, which is a good thing. And most people that I've spoken to feel what you just said, but don't have the words for it. 
Yeah. But they feel it in the pit of their stomach when they're waking up at three o'clock in the morning, staring at the ceiling. They feel it when they're on their 10th Zoom of the day and they want to throw their computer against the wall. <laughs> they feel it, but they don't have the words for it. Yeah. And one of the big insights I had is, you know, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, ha- describes it in the best way I've ever seen. He said, inside every human being is an inherent tension between who they are now and who they know they can be. Mm. Between who they are now and who they can be. What they've already accomplished and what they know they can. And that tension, if you think of like a clothesline, and you, you know, if I may say so, or someone who I just see in your eyes, that tension is deep in your DNA. That's still there strong. And it doesn't matter how much you accomplish. Nope. That tension won't go away. Because every place that I arrive at, I see the place that I can arrive at from this place. It's like the lamp that illuminates the darkness and and exposes more shore of your ignorance. Like the higher the light goes, the more you see is possible for you. Mandela says, when you climb a mountain, the first thing you notice is how many more peaks are ahead of you. Yeah. And I see that in you. Yeah. I see that in you. And what Viktor Frankl, the famed psychiatrist says, is that that inner tension, that thing that so many people right now are feeling that inner dread that they're shitting on themselves. Why can't I just be happy? Mm. What Viktor Frankl says is that inner tension is actually essential to mental health. Mm -hmm. Because what that inner tension is, is it's your soul telling you there is a life of deeper meaning waiting for you. Mm -hmm. What that inner tension is telling you is essentially it's a seed that's causing you to think of how you're going to grow next. Yeah. So that tension is inherent to growth and it's essential to mental well-being because if you think you're capped out if you really think you're capped out you're fucked (laughs) you're fucked you lose all meaning you lose all purpose and with that comes all of the depression all of the every every downstream mental health effect of not having meaning or purpose there's plenty of studies that show all of that your relationships suffer everything suffers but if you feel like you're capped out and you have nothing nothing to drive for that's a problem it's also you know a challenge that I know a lot of really successful athletes have because that is a that mm-hmm. is a path a that has one. an expiry based upon your you know your date you know I mean you can kind of in some ways the tragedy of the amazing Michael Michael Jordan documentary the tragedy was is that you can see that there's some part of him that really feels like the best the is eyes. behind him yeah you know and if you don't find that sense of meaning and that sense of purpose off the court or off the field somehow, life is really tough. Yeah, you got to chase cheap, you know, existential thrills, like the buzz of, it's you know, the buzz of alcohol, the yeah. the thrill of a, of a gambling win or loss, or, you know, and I don't mean to pick on Michael. I think everybody does this, but like, if you you got to find that next thing of like, all right, well now I'm fucking Michael Jordan and I, everybody knows me, and I'm going to change the world in a different way, you know, not just inspire people, not he's in order for him to have that fire again, you'd have to have the same fire he had, you know, when he was playing for the Bulls. Jimmy Carter, when he left the presidency, started Habitat for Humanity, building houses with his bare hands and became a Sunday school teacher. You think of it, how does someone go from president of the United States to teach Sunday school? The answer is he actually found his sense of pur- He found continued sense of purpose. Yeah. Uh, so the big thing, the big insight I've had when people are searching for their next chapter in life, the first thing I tell them is congratulations. If you actually feel the tension inside of you, 
you are a mentally healthy human being. Mm -hmm. Because the problem most people have is they feel the tension and they shit on themselves, saying, why aren't I grateful? Why aren't I content? Why do I, you know, similar to what you were sharing, why do I have this angst of I should be doing more? Why can't I just be content with where I'm at? So the first thing I've realized is that inner tension is healthy and it's the seed for change. Now, what ends up happening is when I share that with people is the question is, okay, so what do I actually do? If I acknowledge that it's healthy, what's something I can actually do if I don't have my path, if I don't have my calling, how do I figure that out? Um, so it's a pretty cool extra. Can I share the exercise Absolutely, with people? please. Okay, so I call it the 30-day challenge. And essentially the way the 30-day challenge works is I tell people your inner child desire to have a perfect map placed out in front of you. You know, we're in like the Google Maps generation. We mm-hmm. just want the, we want someone else to come in. We want to put in a destination and tell us exactly how to get there. That desire is not possible for a career. It's a natural desire, but it's not possible. Yep. What is possible is for me to give people a way to hone their compass, to essentially tell them wherever you are, I can give you an exercise that can hone the compass and help you pick the right next path the right next move. And that can change people's lives. So this is the way the 30-day challenge works. And mm-hmm. it's like really simple. It's like a recipe. It's just, I've tested it with you know thousands of people over the past few years. Yeah, the next best step. The next best step. So this is what it does. So the first step for the 30-day challenge is I tell people to go to a CVS or a pharmacy and get like a $1 notebook. But it's important to get a brand new notebook that they've never written in before. Mm-hmm. And then on the cover, write 30-day challenge and sort of make it sacred. That's the first step. The next step is to open up your calendar and find a 15-minute window that you can devote the next 29 days to. Normally, I tell people, like, if they like to go to the gym after work, couple it with something. Okay, you'll do it right after the gym. You'll do it right before dinner. You'll Mm -hmm. do it right before bed, first thing in the morning. So devote 15 minutes a day to the same thing. Set a reminder, and then this is what you're going to do in that 15-minute window. You're going to answer the same three questions. And these are the three questions. Question number one is, what filled me with enthusiasm today? What filled me with enthusiasm today? The question is not what made me happy, what made me excited. It's what filled me with enthusiasm. And the etymology of enthusiasm is to awaken the divine within. So like what awakened that divine fire in you? We're talking about the organ horns, right? That's it, man. That's it. And that's why that question, it's not what was my favorite part of the day. It's enthusiasm. Mm. And again, it could be for a second. Sometimes people are waiting for eureka moments and they don't have an answer to number one. I tell them lower the bar. It could be like you saw a butterfly go by and your eyes lit up. It could be you heard a quote on a podcast and you felt, again, so question one is what filled me with enthusiasm today? Question two, what drained me of energy today? That one is very easy. People are normally very good at that. Mm -hmm. Question three is what did I learn about myself today? And that's it. 15 minutes, spend about five minutes on each question. And your only goal is sort of like going to the gym, just stick around. Some days you might do it really well. Some days you might not do it well. And if you think of this like daily cardio, it all of a sudden makes sense because some days we'll feel repetitive. And if you look in the mirror after five days of doing it and you don't see results, congratulations. It's called the 30-day challenge, not the five-day challenge. Keep going. Yeah. So that's for 29 days. So go over that one more time for people. What filled me with enthusiasm today? Mm-hmm. What drained me of energy today? What did I learn about myself today? Mm-hmm. Those three questions for 29 days. 
The 30th day is your graduation ceremony. What I tell people is carve out an hour for day 30 and go somewhere festive, your favorite Mexican restaurant, your favorite cafe, your favorite park. Like, Do not sit where you've done your other 29 sessions. Don't do it in your house. Don't do it at your office. Go somewhere that's a graduation ceremony level of festivity. And what you're going to do in that hour is you're finally going to read through your entries and you're going to study it the way you study other poets from a distance. Sure. You're going to you're going to look at yourself almost like an anthropologist and be like, hmm, this guy, Aubrey, really keeps uh, complaining about the same person, <laughs> the same member on his team. Or, oh, this guy, Aubrey, like really is he doesn't stop talking about how much he loves poetry. You're going to look at yourself from a distance. And what you're going to do at the end of the hour is you're going to ask yourself three similar questions, except with a twist. What filled me with enthusiasm this month? What drained me of energy this month? What did I learn about myself this month? And in the first 29 days, you're going to answer the questions like free rights in paragraph form. On the 30th day, I want you to write it like a headline, like a one sentence bold summary. And the look on people's face at the 30th day when they sort of get, you know, Ram Dass talks about, what is it called? Cleaning the mirror. Polishing the Polishing mirror. Polishing the mirror. Mm -hmm. Pretty much what happens to people is at the end of the 30th day, it's not that you get an exact map for your life, but instead you get a very clear needle pointing you in the right direction. And that sense of relief and that sense of clarity changes people forever. The repetition of these, the repetition of this is very important because we're not necessarily good at connecting the dots unless we intentionally do it. We will kind of, we'll make a story, but it becomes so apparent that we can no longer ignore it. It's like the same thing. You can no longer ignore this thing because it's, it's documented. For 30 days. For 30 days. People who have done it for 10 days and have walked away, it just, I've, I've tested this thousands of times. It doesn't work. And at only 30 days, I would say even the minimum. I know some people have gone 50 or 100. 30 is the minimum that you can actually feel it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, so you get this. Then what do you do from the point that you got this? Let me just, let me just you know, hypothesize. I'll just take myself, and I know I didn't do the 30 days to get it, but let's say what fills me with enthusiasm. Well, Today, I was very enthusiastic in this conversation, this podcast, like speaking with somebody who, you know, I can share ideas with and it's, and also sharing this on the podcast. That's something that's, um, you know, fills me with enthusiasm. There was moments in our meeting earlier talking about, so I'm, I get enthusiastic when I create something in my mindscape and I know that I can share it. It makes me excited, you know? Uh, lots of things in relationship. There's a, so there's going to be a couple tangential. This might be hard to do a headline because I can also, at the same in same regard, be like, you know, being there with my wife and laughing in the pantry, you know, and yeah. about the same joke or a new joke or making love or like there's. So you might have like a you might have a a couple things that it's hard to decide and condense. So what do you do when there's like bullet points? Is is the first question mm-hmm. as we go through this? Because I really like this exercise. And same with draining me. Like what makes me what makes me drained? Well, some of these are gonna be like very intrinsic, you know, mm-hmm. bad software. Where basically like I'm saying, you know, like I'm carrying this anxiety because I feel like I need to do more. And this anxiety right. is like a candle that's burning me from the inside of the candle, and all of a sudden the wax is melting, not only from both ends, but from the inside itself. 
and like that that's like that's fucking it um and sometimes it's complicated because sometimes the same things that excite me also in high quantity can exhaust me so it's a it's a it's a quantity issue you know like social social engagements generally you know i get a lot out of those but when i do too many then all of a sudden it starts to be deleterious so that one can be complicated and then learning is learning is probably going to be one of the most difficult to condense because there's going to be a lot of things different things that you learn unless you're really learning the same Mm -hmm. thing over and over which can certainly happen so talk about the condensation at the end of at the end of the 30 days how you reconcile that and then talk about what you do when you get that you know somewhere loose condensation so two parts of the question the the structure of this is very important what i've learned is in the micro so right now you just described the micro your day today yeah it's actually very easy to and it's very natural to really describe some things so let's say you wrote you were doing your 30-day challenge today you'd be like man the there's actually a few things, the the conversation with Alex, the meeting with the team and the joke in the pantry with my wife, all felt good. And you can just free write. Yeah. That's good. Like flesh it on. That's why it's 15 minutes. And I don't tell people people's instincts for the 30 day challenge is they want to sort of cut corners. They're like, they'll just like bullet point three things and like finish in five minutes. And then 30 days from now, they're like, I don't see a huge epiphany. Mm. It's really important to sit there and, you know, let's say you write something out. I tell people you're going to sit there for 15 minutes whether you like it or not. So even if you're staring at the paper, you're not getting up for 15 minutes. Yeah. And what ends up happening is like f- four minutes in, something comes up that wasn't on the top. You talked about it. Uh-huh. Sometimes you have to pull back the veneer for the diamonds to start coming up. Yeah. Um, and I notice that actually happens a lot on number two. The draining of energy, there's the first thing you write and then you wait a couple minutes and then there's like, ugh. Seeing that Instagram post of the guy who works in that other company with his six pack, uh-huh. oh, it, I, I I don't even I'm embarrassed to even write it, but that just put me in a funk. Like that wasn't yeah, the first thing yeah, you admitted, yeah. but it took you a couple of minutes to be like, yeah, that that made yeah. me feel like I'm a little fat right now. <laughs> Whatever, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something powerful about that being 15 minutes, and then it's only again I, I'm very adamant you don't judge, analyze, overthink any of this until day 30. When people give up, and I'm sure it's the same with fitness, if they start judging the progress too intensely in the beginning, if they're doing kettlebell swings and within the first week they're not seeing results, it's very easy to say kettlebells don't work. Yeah, we like, we're in this instant gratification world. Yeah. We love something that we can feel immediately. So I'm very adamant that this happens. And again, just like going to the gym, it's very doable and very effective if you do it on your own. It is even more powerful if you have a gym buddy. Yeah. So for the third day challenge, I tell people, look, if you want to do it alone, it works. I've done it alone many times myself. When you do it with someone else, though, it just that camaraderie really helps. So if anyone listening to this wants to do it and you have a friend who's also in a similar place in life, doing it with them really feels good. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right, so you get this You get this list. <clears throat> you still may have a couple things in each of these. You may have to condense them to like a couple different themes. Yeah. What's next? So with a 30-day challenge, my biggest recommendation for people is just take those clues. Sort of take your graduation diploma and let it do its work. 
I, I'll tell you the spectrum of results I get, just okay. so people have a realistic yeah, yeah. understanding. My biggest thing I tell people is abandon the hope that this will solve all your problems. Mm -hmm. Just abandon that hope. There is a deep desire, and it comes from all of her inner, inner fears of not being safe, that we just want this like masterful like knockout punch to, to solve all of our anxieties and fears of the future. What I tell people is think of the 30-day challenge as a judo flip. It just takes your problem, flips it on its back, and gives you some relief mm -hmm. and helps you move forward. There'll be other times in your life, and I've done this, I've done the 30-day challenge with people who work at Disney, MasterCard, Merrill Lynch. Uh, I did it with Google executives around the world. It works. But what I tell them is it, again, it's a judo flip for right now at this stage in your career. Mm -hmm. A year from now, you might want to do it again yep. when you're in a different place and you're stuck somewhere else. Yep. So once you abandon hope that this will solve all your problems, and instead, it's just going to give you some much-needed relief and clarity on where to step next, thing, just the, the anxiety lowers. Mm. And that's probably one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, ultimately, again, it's going to be the chop wood, carry water type of thing. Like you're going to have to start doing some things, like really putting into practice mm -hmm. some of this shit that you figure out. And that in and of itself is a challenge because a lot of us have, this is another interesting phenomenon. There's, most of us know what we would like to be doing. Right. And I, I, I'm reticent to always use the word should because I don't believe that mm -hmm. we should should on ourselves under any circumstance. But the things that we want, we know what we would like, but do we do them? And, and so for me, like a big, a big practice that I use is trying to really get clear with what I really want. Mm -hmm. And man, talk about, you know, these things that you think are going to be the thing and then are not the thing. I mean, I've gotten to 60,000 words on my next book twice and just <laughs> scrapped them both. And I was like, the amount of courage it takes to scrap it. Oh, it ugh. would be easier to just ship it. Yeah. Ugh. You know, so I started writing this master your mind, master your life. Yeah. And I'm like, what how do I how do I make the mind inexorable from the body and from the spirit and from the field in which the mind exists? This isn't possible. So I could write this thing, but this seems reductive. And and it the whole thing just didn't really work. And then where I'm really at now is my own struggle. And this is something that I can always that I can really talk to is like, all right, well, what how do I master my mind? Like and to me, it's to understand what I really want. What do you really want? And because we think we want these things, and this goes back to what we were earlier talking, what do we really want? Well, we want to be seen. We want somebody to see us, to know us. We want to be known and seen. We don't want to be lonely. We want to, and that requires a vulnerability. It requires us stripping all of the layers of projection off and being like, here I am. We want to be seen. We want to be loved. You know, we want to matter. We want to do something, as, as we're saying, we want to have purpose and meaning. We want to matter. We want to be here. We want to be present. We want to find awe. We, so I got really clear of like, all right, what do I really want? You know, and part of mattering is being of service in, in this way. So reducing it to these core things. I love that. To say like, what do I really want? Like, what do I really want? And are these things that I'm doing actually getting me what I really want? Or can I restructure everything based upon actually doing the things that are going to get me what I want? And do I have the courage to do that? 
and you'll you'll uncover a lot of things like so many things that we do are not what we really want but it's based on a fear not a desire we're being fear motivated <clears throat> like i'm going to this party that i don't want to go to or this wedding or this whatever weddings are a big one birthdays are another <laughs> big one i'm going to this wedding birthday thing because i don't want the person who is throwing this wedding birthday to thing to be pissed right so do you have the courage to be strong enough in yourself and trust that you can say hey i love you but ultimately like i just i can't show up to this thing and still live my life of purpose in the way that i want to and like this is a hard thing to do like you have to have the courage to trust that we'll be loved not the fear that we won't be loved and and that's hard and actually i had a conversation with daniel schmachtenberg which really helped is he's he's an amazing thing it's like talking to fucking cerebro when you talk to him and we did one podcast we're going to do another he's been a great ally and he was talking to me about how every request in his life because he's curated as a beautiful life with a beautiful com you know community of people and a lot of things that he could do every request in isolation is a yes mm. like do you want to go to this party yes do you want to hang out yes do you want to have coffee yes in isolation in isolation but looking at it in the global sense do i want to do all of say all of these yeses well if i say all of these yeses the yeses imply a lot of no's with every yes it implies a no to 12 possibilities of things that i could do i could be meditating and ice bathing i could be writing poems i could be working on my book i could be just relaxing i could be whatever or going to something else so you have to look at it in in the field of possibilities mm -hmm. and then use your structure of what you really want to decide what the yeses and nos are because in isolation we can get fucked and this is again taking that macro perspective which is really necessary so he even has his executive assistant who must know him really well and know his strategy plan really well and he says every time he gets a request he says i would love to it sounds amazing but i don't let me get back to you and i'll see if it i'll see if it works for me and then he takes all of these different things and then he looks at them in a scope and then he adjusts them to his to his priorities and then he decides later because he knows he knows he can't even because he knows that the answer is yes if he just says yes right away and i thought that was like that was really clever and interesting and we're not really aware of that even when people are texting us i mean if you if we look at the screen time that we spend on our phone it's insane it's, it's horrifying insane. It's horrifying. It's digital addiction at its core. It's horrifying. Yeah. I'm five hours, 20 minutes a day on my fucking phone. That's horrifying. But how do I get out? <laughs> you know, like, how do I, how do I get out and still, and that takes some work and that takes some space. And so to take some space, I got to get, take the phone away. And I got to say no to a lot of things. It takes some space to feel like, how do I deal with this fucking phone thing? All of the messages, all of the things, all of the calls, all of the shit that I'm doing. This is a, this is a deep this is a deep and very important process. And are you willing to have the trade off with someone who has a profession like yours, where so much of your career is tied to the phone? Are you willing to really separate that and maybe take the you know, maybe your social growth won't be as big if you scale back a little, yeah. or you hand all the platform passwords over to someone on your team? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is these are the questions. Interestingly, speaking of this phone thing, yeah, 
yesterday i won't get into the details of how i lost my phone because it was a fucking unbelievable <laughs> thing but my phone ultimately slid down this you know slid down the side of a plane and i thought there was no way in hell that i was ever going to get slid this slid down the side okay so i'm i was flying in a i was flying in a jet okay and i went to go put my phone where i thought was on the on like the armrest okay but i actually put it on the window because i had my blindfold on because i was taking a nap i put it so that it slid down where the window was meeting the hull of the jet oh no so it slid down that and i then i go oh my god they're gonna have to demo this jet in order for me to get this fucking phone out i mean it's done my phone is done and then i had to like deeply reconcile wow okay well what if i am aubrey without a phone can i live with that could I maybe maybe I don't get a new phone? Can I exist without an, and I went through this whole process about like how I could live my life without a phone. Larry. <laughs> and it was it was exciting and terrifying at the same time because yeah. I was convinced that yeah. like all right, well there's no fucking chance. Interestingly, I was still listening to the music on my phone which was the Bluetooth was still course, connected. Yeah. I was like these are the last sounds my phone will ever make. I was like this romantic poetic moment like enjoy this cuz your phone's never coming back. Well, ultimately they were able to actually like get through and undo this little panel and I fucking got my phone back, but I didn't think I was. But it was like this interesting meditation of all right, what happens? And some parts I could really I got really excited about and some parts were like well fuck like what what sacrifices must i make in order to do that so the idea of ultimately getting rid of my phone entirely was unacceptable but it was a good thought experiment and it was like really like productive for me to think about what happens if you just stop this is a whole topic that on one hand is i'm very passionate about very separate than everything we talked about, but actually sure. in a weird way, it threads exactly back. Yeah. Which I just have become very obsessed this past year. The way I see it, I just start calling it digital addiction. Mm-hmm. And I can speak to myself. An addiction, you know, depending on which definition you use, is an external substance that's filling an internal void. Mm-hmm. I know, Aubrey, I have zero, de- I mean this genuinely. Right now, looking in your eyes, I have zero desire to reach for my phone. It hasn't even crossed my mind once. Yeah. Bro, when I am alone in my apartment. <laughs> when you're taking a shit. When I am alone, <laughs> when I am, you know, sometimes actually weirdly enough, after something like this is when I need it the most. Yeah. Is because I'm actually on the come down from this connection. Yeah. That's when I reach for my phone. I don't reach for Twitter when I'm happy. Yeah. I don't reach for Twitter when I feel connected. In those moments of enthusiasm that you've tracked no, for 30 days. No. no, it's never like, right? man, I, I grab my phone. <laughs> I'm right. like, rarely is it going right. to be that. And case. when I do my 30-day challenge, sometimes and often my number two, what's draining me of energy, is something digital related. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, it's just, it, it comes up a lot. So the question is, why do I keep doing something? And I still do it. I did this morning. Why do I still keep doing something that I know clearly drains me of energy, makes it feel like a cloud is above my head. So that's a whole nother thing. And by the way, I meditate, I do, I pray, I do all that stuff and still I can't kick it. Mm -hmm. I think, and I feel very confident on this, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we will be talking about digital addiction with the same kind of gravitas we talk about the opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. We're on the precipice of it. You know, we've seen the numbers that there's been higher numbers of teenage suicide 
in the past few years than ever in history. And loneliness. Loneliness in younger generations is what's surprising. Everybody thinks, oh, the loneliness epidemic, it's a bunch of elderly people who have lost their connections. No, it's not. Like we're seeing the the fastest increase in the youngest generations. The first party I went to that was sort of like post-vaccine LA, I'm not kidding, I was there and about 75% of the people were on their phones. And I was thinking this would be like a euphoric party where people are looking in each other's eyes. Right. You don't just undo an addiction. Um, so that's a whole nother thing. But what I've realized is that it's, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a very famous quote that says, you know, in order to really unravel an addiction, you have to ask not only what it does to you, you have to ask what it does for you. Right. Right. So alcohol is an easy example. What does it do to you? It makes you a drunk. It makes you miss your priorities, ruins your relationships, blah, blah, blah. What does it do for you? Oh, it takes the edge off. Mm. Oh. oh, I can connect with a guy sitting in the barstool next to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm a lot more confident. I can go ask her out mm -hmm. when I'm a little drunk. What does it do for you? Yeah. And you're never going to kick, you're never going to kick the bottle until you realize what it's doing for you and find other ways to do that. Yeah. And the same is true with the phone. I know for me, what is, what does the Twitter do for me? It distracts me from uncomfortable thoughts. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling insecure. Now, sadly, I go to a thing that makes the thoughts worse. Mm. But what does it do for me? It takes away, it takes away thoughts that, you know, make me distracted. Many times, like a slot machine, dude, I feel great about myself. You know, going into this, you talk about going into the DMs. I'll sometimes fish in those DMs for senses of significance and meaning. Sure. Now, God forbid, sometimes there's bombs in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> of people no, just no. cussing you out. No, but no. like, and thank God, knock on wood, I'm not famous enough to get that. <laughs> like, I'm sure you get much more. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I'm, there are things it's doing for me. But even those things, even those things that we think we don't like, they're still triggering some neurological, neurohormonal response that some part of us is probably addicted to as well. That sense of shock and outrage and oh, how dare they? It's you know, a key we, on the organ. We, it's another fucking key on the organ that when we've pl pl you know, played that key enough, and Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this a bunch, and you are the placebo, we become addicted to the things, to the tunes on the organ that we're most comfortable playing there's an upregulation mm. of different you know receptor sites for these hormones and for these neurotransmitters and all of these things that are associated your childhood you yes, like that core. yes yeah. there's like all of these things that we have to realize we're constantly feeding these certain addictions which is almost like praying to that god you know like that key on that organ if you wanted to anthropomorphize it and make it I'm praying now in my anger, I'm praying to Ares, the god of war, and my sadness, I'm praying to blah, blah, blah. It's, I was really like going down and understanding like all of the ways that we're, we are addicted to all of the aspects of being ourself and certain tones that we play. And the phone provides certain, certain tones, certain quick hits of dopamine, certain things, and it's designed for that. It's like really designed. So the solution, one solution, which isn't a permanent solution, but is necessary, is abstinence. Yeah. Like we have to have scheduled intense abstinence. If you have issues with food, well, fast. Like that will teach you a lot about food. Like if you actually fast, if you go on a fast, like just a water mm -hmm. fast, 
And then you eat a cashew when you're coming out. You're like, oh my God, a cashew. It's so sweet. It's so delicious. Whereas if you get used to all kinds of different foods and if you're eating Hershey bar every things, day, yeah, you don't for taste sure. You're like, fucking cashew, whatever. I guess I'll have a cashew, but I'd much rather have a kind bar. It's wrapped in chocolate, you know, like way better. You know what I mean? So that's one thing, fast. And that's really what, you know, I'm just, by the time this podcast is out, my documentary, Awaken the Darkness, my six days in darkness, silence, isolation, it was the complete removal of all things, including the phone, including people, including music, including sight. Everything was removed. And at that point, you really learn some shit, you know, and I'm, I'm called back to the darkness because I know that I've gotten re-addicted to all of the things that I became temporarily unaddicted to mm -hmm. and that it like broke the addiction. And it was like a fucking fever. It was like a fever that I had to break. And I think, so one thing is these these longer fasting periods, mm -hmm. which I think are necessary. Same with the substance. Like no matter what it is, you gotta take, you know, you gotta take your break. You gotta take your time to make sure that they're not in control of you rather than you being in control of them, whether it's alcohol or tobacco or whatever, whatever the fuck. Then I also think we need to bring back the Sabbath. <laughs> We need to bring back the Sabbath. Have and you read the book, The Sabbath? No. Bro, it's so good. Really? Well, you keep going. I'll do my, I just read it this year. It's so, keep going though. Awesome. I mean, the, and the Sabbath is an idea that there's one day a week mm -hmm. where you don't do the normal shit, mundane shit. And, and it used to, it came from a time that didn't have phones. It was designed in a time that is not exactly relevant one for one to our time now but if you just take a little bit of application to be like okay what would the sabbath mean now it would mean all right what do you want to create for your sabbath well i definitely want to take away my phone and me and my wife have tried it and it's it's always the best day we'll have like day. no phone sundays you know like you know cell free sunday and it's just us connecting and even if we want to go somewhere we have to remember how to go there and even if it's a restaurant we want to make a reservation to like we just show up and third door our way in that in that in that and, restaurant and it, it always works it always yeah. works right so but there's this just immense immense freedom that comes from that and that's one of the most important mm. things but you could stack a, a variety of different things into your sabbath and then do that every week like that's something i haven't fully implemented but i think like this is a key I did it every week for the whole year. Nice. So tell me about your Sabbath and tell me about the book. Okay. So the book, it's called The Sabbath um, by, I believe I'm saying his last name right, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Mm -hmm. uh, someone can probably Google that and figure it out. But it's called The Sabbath and it's a short book. What it talks about is essentially, you know, the Sabbath comes from, you know, monotheistic religion, Judaism, Christianity. And the idea around Shabbat, the Sabbath, however you want to think of it, is it's an architecture of time. And pretty much the thesis of this book is that other cultures will build architecture in space. New York City is literally a cathedral to capitalism. Right. You yeah. look at you. I've never said those words out loud, but I'm not, I was like, oh, yeah. shit, I just came from New York yesterday. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. That, you look at these buildings and first of all, it's awe inspiring. Yeah. As much as I want to say like, oh, no, no, you look at that New York skyline and you go, wow. Yeah. But what is it praising? Vegas is a cathedral to hedonism. Right. So and then you go to, have you been to Yosemite recently? No. Oh, I was just there a couple months ago. It is a cathedral in its own right, but it's a cathedral yeah. to God. To God. Yeah, truly. And 
you know, you look at it and, okay, so the Sabbath talks about the core thesis is other cultures will create buildings, even temples, things they build in space, physical cathedrals. A Sabbath, just the thought of it, is a cathedral in time. That you're saying from sunset on mm. Friday or sunset to Saturday until the next sunset, Aubrey is building his own cathedral mm-hmm. for his beloved space. Mm. So however you want to build that beloved space. So it's time with you and your wife. It's time with you and God. It's time with you in nature. It's time with you in your soul. Yeah. But you're creating an architecture of time. And I think that is just the most, it's revolutionary to us, but a lot of other people, it's yeah, called life. Like, They've been, been living it. So we've been doing this forever. They've been doing it forever. Um, and if you think, I, I know my ancestors have been doing it forever. I just sort of got you know, placed in America. My parents came as refugees and came into America and it sort of got lost in the mix. Uh, but this architecture of time is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. Um, so I did it for a year and I still do it on and off and it's just So what best. is your, what do you architect? What do you, what do you remove? And what do you add from your so, normal, yeah, from your I'm week? Jewish. So there's a lot of like, you know, conservative Jewish shoulds on a Shabbat. Mm-hmm. I read the book and sort of said it's similar to you. And again, I'm not telling anyone what to do. I said, it will work for me. I said, what's the core premise? The core premise is you're going to create an architecture of time where the point of a Shabbat is to reconnect with whatever your higher power is. Mm-hmm. That's God, nature, the universe, your soul, science, whatever your higher power is. And I'm going to rest. The great thing about the way this book describes Shabbat is it's not a uh, dessert at the end of a meal. It's actually an essential part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the idea of a, of a Sabbath is that the six days of work is incomplete without the seventh day of rest. Mm. It's, not a, uh, it's not a reward for six days of work. Right. It's not an optional reward that you can take or not take. If you actually work all seven days straight, you had a bad, incomplete week. Mm-hmm. Without the seventh day of rest, and if you actually uh, think about it, back in the day, dude, they were toiling in the farmlands. Yeah. If anything, even harder than the lives we live. And if they didn't take that seventh day of rest, and uh, there's a great anecdote in the book that said there was once a man, you know, an ancient biblical man, who on his seventh day, on his Sabbath, had an idea of, oh, I need to fix that fence on my farm. And then he, because he had the idea on the day of rest, he didn't touch that fence for the whole year because he didn't even want ideas. Like that's, that, he didn't even want, he wanted to train his yeah, brain. For sure, that, because okay, so much of our work happens in our mind. Right. It's one thing to say, I'm going to rest my hands. I'm going to put my phone down. But dude, is it really a Sabbath if you're thinking of your Instagram posts on your Sunday? <laughs> nope. No, it's not nope. a Sabbath, right? Nope. So like his abstinence was if I have an idea on that day. I got to burn it. The idea gets burned. <laughs> oh, gangster. And, and, if, and, if so God, gangster. and if God wants me to have the idea, he'll plant it in me on Monday. <laughs> or he'll, right? <laughs> yeah. That's like some hardcore, I'm not there. But like, right. That's some hardcore it, stuff. But the, it. it's, it's a devotion to saying there's more to life than just toiling. Mm-hmm. That without the rest, and it's not rest for pleasure's sake. It's actually rest for rejuvenation's sake. What are we here to do? Yeah. 
And the thing is, is that you'll always be able to bargain with yourself. This was the this was the value of tying things to a higher power that could be upset. It was accountability. And yeah. I don't believe in the premise. I, in I, my, I've never thought of it that way. But my understanding of the divine is like, yeah, God's not going to be mad at it's love. It's yeah. love. And we're a part of that love. And so there's not going to be any judgment for this. So we've removed the accountability. So the, we're only accountable to ourselves, really, unless we have an accountability buddy like you talk about in the 30-day challenge. But we really have to, we really have to decide in a way that we don't negotiate because... I am the fucking squirrel king of negotiation. I will wiggle and wiggle well, and you're wiggle. You're too smart. You can you can convince yourself that anything's a no good idea. No doubt. And and I this was another piece of this darkness documentary that you know I talk about in there because I have my you know tape recorder in there as I was recording my experience because there's no way to journal or anything. So in some ways, I suppose this could be like cheating, but I also knew that I wanted to document this. Um. So that was my only comfort in the thing was that hopefully this tape recorder is working. I didn't even know it was working. And one section is like, I really hope this is working because I had to memorize how to turn it on and off. And so if I got fun. it wrong, if up was if up was on and down was off, and I but it was reversed and down was on and up was I was fucked. You know. So, but ultimately, like, thought I had that thing, and I I recorded myself, and it was the constant wrestling with the idea of. I could just leave the room. I could just open the fucking window. I could just do it. I could just do it. I could just do it. I could go outside. I could go for a run in the tree. It's good to go for a run in the trees, isn't it? It's nice to be out in nature. Isn't it? Isn't it nice to be out in nature? I just won't. I'll leave my phone off, but I'll be out in the trees. I'll be out in nature, and that'll be good too, right? It'll still be productive. And you know, I was negotiating every single fucking day, but somehow I just had the sense like I gotta stick it out. I gotta stick it out. I gotta stick it out. And, and I'm so glad that I did. And that was, to be fair, like one of those, one of those instances where I really mm. did stick something out. You know, I'm not good at these routines and I'm not good at even keeping my word to myself. I'll do what needs to be done always and I trust myself that I'll do what needs to be done, like ultimately. But I'm always negotiating constantly. So this is a, this is a great opportunity to create an ethos mm -hmm. that's strong enough that you will not negotiate with yourself and like make that vow and somehow make it sacred and you might not have that higher power that you think is going to judge yeah. you but you got to figure out a way to link this practice to something so meaningful that you won't fucking squirrel your way out of it to your life to your to life it's like a sacred vow everything while you're talking i just had this flashback to an hour ago when we we're talking about the diamonds yeah everything we've been talking about the past hour has been about bringing the diamonds forward yeah the sabbath the, the third day challenge, the the darkness, it's all about bringing the diamonds forward. Mm -hmm. I haven't taken a Sabbath in a long time. I've done, I, I, that's not, actually, that's not true. I do very aggressive. <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do like the most aggressive Aubrey's sabbat. new book, The Aggressive Sabbath <laughs> yeah. by Aubrey Marcus. Yeah, yeah. the aggressive, <laughs> intensive sabbat. That is, sabbat, that actually Which is, is very, like an ayahuasca really ceremony, funny. right? Which is so much work. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, yeah, I'm unplugged, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. like not doing my normal shit. My phone right. doesn't matter. But it's so aggressive, you know? And like so much work. And then there's the integration that requires... So is it a, is it a, is it Shabbat? Is it a Sabbath or is it just 
work on a different aspect of myself. It feels more like work on a it's different aspect. It's another form of work. It's another form of work. It's just work, spiritual work, emotional work. But I don't know when the last time I really took a Sabbath was. I guess that one, you know, the few times I've done that with, I think we've only done it twice with Vi, where we had no phone and, it, and really the the thing, the higher power that we were worshiping was the divine in each other. It was our sacred union. So it was about us amazing, enjoying yeah. each other. And that is a doorway for me so to see God. I was going to say there's God in that. There's God in that. Absolutely. And, and, and in, a, in a relationship like that, that is one of the beautiful aspects of it. Like your partner is a doorway to God. And if you, because you can find God in anything, if you really look close enough, and if you really look close enough with your partner, you can find that. So maybe I've had two of those days in the last like fucking year, year and a half, year, probably a year. I had some more in other places, but I have this deep, deep calling. And I even, I wrote a newsletter about it and I was like, so I'm setting up this winter for like a long extended, all the, all the Sabbaths linked together. But you know what? But once a week or back to back to back Back days? to back to back. But no, you're not. I, I know. And now you're just, you're hardcoring it again. I know, exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> Dude, and, I'm sorry, I love you, but I know, it's not it. I know, I know. <laughs> and so it's going to be this the hardcore. 10-day Sabbath by Aubrey <laughs> yeah, Marcus. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, I hope to write my whole book while I'm done there. <laughs> Dude, you're just doing a writing retreat. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. And that's Which, by the way, is awesome, tricky. but it's not the same. It's not the same. Not and the it's same. me tricking myself again. Again, tricking myself into this other thing where I can just work on something different. Like, oh, ayahuasca, well, that's a break. No, it's not. It's just working on this. Oh, well, this writing retreat is my time to unplug. No, it's not. I'm going to be fucking 10 hours a day on a screen. If I decide to thinking, thinking. I got to do this for real, man. I got I really got to do this for real. And so I got to bind this thing with something that's, that's more important. I'm even thinking about this week and I'm like, fuck. This week I got my documentary launching. I got Zach Bush and Charles Eisenstein. They're staying at my house and like, well, I'm fucking next week. But there's always going to be some net. Well, next week's Thanksgiving, and then we got all this and that. There's always that's why it has to be sacred. It has to be some sacred shit that even in the planning. So six weeks ago, and it might take me a little while to get there because I've already planned enough shit that I may not be able to unwind like. Sure. Zach flying in from here and Charles flying in from here and this thing happened. All right, fair enough. Maybe this week is actually out. But if I don't start planning this now, it won't happen. And I have to just make this fucking sacred. Yeah, religions don't say choose the day of the week. That's the Sabbath. Yeah, right. Christianity, it's Sunday. Judaism, it's Saturday. Like, pick a day, Aubrey. <laughs> but, but by the way, with the writing retreat, dude, okay. How long did you map out? Two weeks, three weeks? No longer, six weeks. Six weeks. You can't, you can't, again, no, just, I'll have time in no, there. Just, just one day, one Absolutely. day a week. That'll and be, by the way, your writing, bro, is going to be so much better. Cause again, Absolutely. you're not sitting. I think what happens is the Sabbath conjures a thought of like sitting and staring at a wall. No, dude, you're doing your favorite shit. Yeah. You and your wife are going for walks in nature. You're yep. slow cooking meals. You're whatever. Taking your time, like making for me, love. Yeah, yeah. The whole by the thing. way, in Judaism, that's a blessing. That's actually double blessing if you mm -hmm. do it on a Sabbath versus on a regular day because <laughs> you're more present. Of course. You're more present. Um, for me, like again, in Judaism, they say don't read. I actually love to read. It brings me relaxation. I just don't read for anything that could help my career. Right. That was my rule. If it yeah, helps reading my a book like Name of the Wind, which is like this great fiction great. book that I read. Yeah. You know? But if you're reading a book for me that helps me with my research, eh, not allowed. Mm-hmm. But if I'm reading Mansford for Meaning, great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Dude, yeah, I think you're going to do it. I know I'm, I know you're going to do it. I, this the energy is building and this is this is like even talking this about is it. like the moment where I'm like, okay, like this is just no more bullshit, Aubrey. And this is where you have to be like the the team captain of your mind where you have all of these players like, "No, we need to do this, coach. No, we need to do this. No, we need to do this." And you're like, "No, this is not we're doing this." It's this this point where you just lay down the logos, the word that comes from your higher authority that says this is the word and i don't care about the bullshit of all of these other voices like i love you all so much but this is for you trust me and just have that authority have the have the voice of authority is also something i've been thinking about like we do have this but we're scared it's buried. of it it's very we're scared of the voice of authority because we're, we we like to wiggle so we we bear, we bury it ourselves it's buried and we bury it but when we can find that voice of authority that says, I will or I will not, like, and, and we know and we trust that, like, that's what we need. And I think we've externalized that to God. You shall or you shall not. Or our bosses. Or our bosses or our partners <laughs> or, or whatever. Our partners, right. Yeah, but, People say, my wife doesn't let me. No, you allow her to not let you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? You totally. like it. You like it. <laughs> you like her telling you you're not allowed to go to the gym today. You like it. Right? Yeah. yeah that's that's 100%. And true. the reason I've, again, the reason I've noticed, going back to the 30-day challenge, the reason I've noticed people not doing the 30-day challenge, there's a subconscious part of them who doesn't want to hear their own voice of authority. Yeah. Because what the 30-day challenge is, like you said, is it makes it undeniable anymore. Mm -hmm. Dude, imagine if for 30 days you're writing down and over and over again, and you're like, man, I really want to do that Sabbath. I really, And on your 30th day, you're reading it. You can't hide from yourself anymore. Yeah. You're going to do the Sabbath now. Yeah. I'm going to do the Sabbath now as my voice of authority. I want, gonna, there's I'm a part of me it. and I'm not going to do this because I want you, there's a part of me that's like, man, I want to come on one of your Sabbath days with you. But like, <laughs> no, it's your thing with your wife, do it. But like, it sounds fun to spend, yeah. to spend a day with you totally. just chilling out just and chilling. the ranch and. Just fucking chilling, just playing around. And like, that's, that's, it sounds like it's the interesting thing is some part of me knows like that is part of, part of heaven on earth. It's part of finding heaven on earth. And yeah. what am I doing all this work for? I'm like, I'm doing this for everybody. For what? So that they can work really hard like me and do more? No, I want them to find heaven on earth. I want them to realize that we're all here in the kingdom. And if we can shift our mindset, we can get there. Oh, but are you doing it, bro? Well, no, not me. I'm here to help you find it. Oh, that's really going to work? You're going to be the one that can't do it it's yourself. It's a dating coach who can't get a date. Right? <laughs> exactly. <It's> like... <laughs> exactly. That doesn't work. I got to like I got to live I got to live the thing. And I do that in many ways. You know, I did that. It was one of the reasons why on it was so successful is I was living the on it human optimization lifestyle in many ways and why yeah. when I talk about plant medicines, I talk about these things. Like, yeah, I can speak from a gnosis because I'm doing it. But but ultimately many of these things that I'm trying to impress upon others there's another step that if I take it, it's going to be so much stronger because instead of me, and I suppose it is lovely for me to say how much I'm struggling with these same things because people can be like, yeah, me too. And maybe we can all do it together. And I, I acknowledge yeah. that, but it's going to be so much more powerful if six months from now I can say, you know what? I had this podcast with Alex Benign. And after that, we talked about the Sabbath and the voice of authority. And I laid my voice of authority there down we go. and I declared a Sabbath. And ever since then, I haven't missed a week. It was every fucking Wednesday or Sunday. I don't know which day it'll be, but I'm going to pick it because I think there is yeah, some real value to that. Too. 
And for every every time, then that was the Sabbath, and my life has been blah 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 since then. Like that's that's the story that's going to be told. I love it. Remember we talked around the beginning about the circle of when you're a little kid, you're born with love, you go into fear, you go back to love. Mm-hmm. I was saying, dude, when you were a little kid and you were two years old, you were not planning the rest of your week. <laughs> no, it was permanent <laughs> Sabbath. Permanent Sabbath, right? So part of us, and by the way, too, like I'm sure you've done it too. Like when my dad was, you know, towards the end of his life, you go back to permanent Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, that's this idea of even retirement is like toil, 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 toil. And then at the end of your life, you get the opportunity to not toil, but you've never trained yourself how to not toil. So you're just like, well, I'm fucking bored. You know, what are we doing? Right. Okay. We don't and, have then, hobbies. and then you reach to the same distractions, more drinking, some, you know, whatever sports you're addicted to. Fine. I love sports too, but all of the things that are not really really that thing that lights you up really that thing that awakens the divine within enthusiasm right the people who i have met who go into depression which is it's common in retirement is retirement just like we talked about the sabbath in their heads is doing nothing like sitting around doing nothing people i've met whose lives have gone through the roof is when they actually, to them, retirement is actually stopping working for money and instead working for giving back. So I'll see a lot of people, they raise their grandkids. They will Habitat for Humanity. They will teach Sunday school. They will write, a, it might even be writing a book or whatever, but it's something for purpose as opposed to doing it for a salary. Yeah. One of the things that I love about you, Alex, is your ability to tell a great story. So as we wrap this up, I don't know what this story is going to be, but mm. l- let's just pull up a seat at mm. the at the Alex campfire here. Oh God! Let's grab a <laughs> thirty let's, minutes. Later. Let's grab <laughs> let's grab a proverbial nib of whiskey and let's settle in to a moment of Shabbat. Oh wow! Where all we have to do is listen to Alex tell us mm. a story. That's a nice compliment. It really is. It was really, it's really amazing to listen to you tell. I love a good storyteller. Thank you. You and Boyd Vardy are two of the storytellers that really bring out that uh, that kind mm. of elicit that response from like, man, these guys can tell a fucking story. Boyd Vardy's the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. He's an actual Lion Tracker. No way. Yeah. I didn't he's, meet got this guy. he's got amazing. You got to meet him. He's here in Austin. I tell you about the Africa trip I did? No. Spent 30 days in the savannah in Africa this summer. Amazing. We got to talk about it. I okay. want to meet him. Yeah. I meet for him. sure. Um, what are you in the mood for? This is your Sabbath, Aubrey. Yeah. I'm just here. Whatever, whatever is percolating, I trust mm. that the thing that percolates to your mind, you know, that you may think you may want to discard it, but maybe it's there for a reason. Mm. I'll tell you the story. of the hardest interview I ever did for the third door. And I couldn't have known it going into it. So this takes place at very much toward the end of this journey of interviews. And I was going in to interview Jessica Alba. And this is a new story for you? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, New story. 
Because we spent, spent time together, so I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, little Nancy Callahan. I was in love. <laughs> Basically, when she came out in Sin City, I was like, I'm in love. Okay. So, so again, most people know Jessica Alba as this, you know, world-renowned actress, you know, award-winning, known around the world for as a movie star and a TV star. And many people also know her as the founder of a billion-dollar company. Donna's company recently went IPO. And what most people don't know, Jessica Alba isn't the face of the Honest Company. She's literally the founder. She had the idea. She hired the executives, raised the money. She's the founder of the company as well. So what's wild about her, and I think about it a lot, is she didn't climb one mountain at another point in her life, climb a second mountain. She sort of climbed two mountains at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was once at an airport, and I saw her on the cover of Forbes magazine in a suit and on the cover of Shape magazine in a bikini in the same month. Two mountains, very different, but two mm. mountains at the top of both. So it makes you wonder, how did she find the fuel to f- climb a second mountain when I know myself I'm struggling to climb one? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was my real, I was going into that interview particularly with that focus. How did she climb the second mountain when she was still at the top of another one? Now, what I couldn't have known going into that interview as I was sitting there in the lobby of the Honest Company, I was maybe 10 minutes early to the interview. I was sitting there in the lobby waiting for it to begin. Um, what I couldn't have known and what Jessica's team couldn't have known either is that I had just come back from the hospital where I had taken my dad for his first round of chemo. And right around that time, my dad had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I remember very vividly the feeling of seeing someone you love clearly drowning in front of you, and no matter how much you reach out your hand from the raft, you can't pull them back. It's one thing to see someone you love die. It's another thing to try everything you can to help, and it does nothing. And I remember sitting there in the lobby of the Honest Company essentially yelling at myself in my own head, telling myself, you cannot think about these things when you go into this interview. You know, this interview was months in the making. I had already been working on the third door for six, seven years at this point. This was not a therapy session. I wasn't sitting with a friend. This was this was my mission. And I needed, I was telling myself, you need to learn to compartmentalize. And as I looked around the Honest Company, I was like, this is a positive place. Mm -hmm. This is not a place that talks about death. So I just told myself, whatever it takes, just do not think about death or cancer. You have to keep this positive. So sure enough, you know, it's time. I get shown, escorted down a hallway, and everything in this office is just bright and positive. There's butterflies on the wall, sunlight is shining in, the word honesty is spread out and ceramic cups on another wall. It's just, there's a vibe there. And I get taken into Jessica Alba's office. She's sitting on a couch. You know, I sit down next to her. You know, couldn't be nicer. And I just knew I needed to start the interview in a positive place. And I'd done my research. And I knew that any time she speaks about her mother in an interview, she always just says these like beautiful, loving things. So I said, great, I'm going to just throw her a softball. So I say, Jessica, what's the best lesson your mother ever taught you? And she looks down. I remember very vividly. She looked down at her jeans. She was wearing like ripped jeans. And she started like playing with the strands on her jeans. 
and she takes a while. And I'm getting a little worried. And then she looks at me and says, well, my mother taught me to cherish every moment you have with your parent because you never know when will be the last. And I just want to kneel over in pain. Whoa. And I'm thinking maybe she's misspeaking, but she keeps going on. She goes, my mother also told me, be careful of every word you say to your parents because you never know when it's the last thing they'll hear from you. And I am now feeling like I'm being oh, electrocuted. The oh, worst man. possible answer. Oh, man. The worst, like physical pain. You know that yeah. feeling when yeah, your insides yeah, yeah. are on fire. So I just knew I needed to grab the steering wheel and take a sharp left. So I also knew I had done a lot of research on her. I knew that whenever she, someone would ask her, how did you start the Honest Company? The answer, I could recite the answer for her. I heard so many of her interviews. She always talks about kids being happy and healthy and babies, not being around toxic things and living healthy lives. So I asked her, how did you start the Honest Company? I know how she's going to answer. I can't tell you why. But for some reason, she looks at me and goes, I was thinking about death. <laughs> and she goes on to explain that when she was pregnant with her first child, it was the first time she ever realized how close life and death really are. Because you have this thing growing inside of you that can go any minute. And it was taking her to a place of fear that she had, hadn't felt in a long time. And she essentially starts explaining to me that in her childhood, she was in and out of the hospital all the time. She had an inhaler on the side of the soccer field. She would go into the hospital. Her mom would go into the hospital. Her aunt had cancer. Her grandpa had cancer. Her grandma had cancer. And she keeps talking about death and cancer, death and cancer, until I literally am about to explode. And it just I essentially just broke. And I just blurted. In the, I just interrupted. I just blurted. I said, we, we have to stop. I, my dad just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And normally at that time, when you tell that to someone, they like lower their voice and they say, I'm so sorry. For some reason, she just got her hand and slapped down on the table and just yelled, fuck. And it felt like someone had just splashed me with ice water and lifted a weight off my shoulders I didn't know existed. And in that moment, it no longer became an interview, it became a conversation. Mm. And we started talking for the rest of the conversation about her family's history of death and cancer, my family's history. We started bonding about how sometimes it's crazy when you have a parent who's sick and drinking Diet Coke in front of you, you want to pull your hair out. Like mm -hmm. we were just mm -hmm. sort of like trauma bonding over this. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I was talk about organs on the key, like keys on the organ. Like we just both started, you know, coming alive, talking about this really painful thing. And we're talking about it, we're talking about it, we're talking about it. And I started telling her like, you know, when my dad got sick, I started like, getting rid of all the cleaning supplies in the house and just replacing them with Honest products. And now she looked like she had just been splashed with ice water and a weight was lifted off her shoulder. So we're going back and forth. And then she's telling me more and more about her childhood, about her biggest childhood fears, essentially getting sick and dying. Because she was always in, she was just surrounded by going into the hospital as a kid. And about like four, I'll always remember this, about 45 minutes into the conversation. And I wonder if you have these sensations. There's like a, a random thought that comes into my head in an interview sometimes. And I have to say like, sort of like swinging from a vine, am I going to reach for that vine? Because it's sort of a risky one. Mm -hmm. And I remember this thought entered my head and the conversation was going great. So I didn't want to mess it up, but something just told me like, take the leap and see what happens. And I just looked at her and I said, I might be completely wrong. 
And she's like, okay. <laughs> and I, she had an office where it was like a, a glass wall, a glass door. And I pointed out to all of her, she had like 500 employees at that time. I said, I might be completely wrong, but are you telling me that the reason all of these people have jobs is because you at one point in your life finally had the courage to look your biggest fear in the eyes and ask, what am I going to do about you? And then her eyes pretty much popped out of her face. And essentially, it sounded like she had never seen it that way. Mm -hmm. And I started just sort of saying this theory that was coming to me in real time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I pretty much told her, all the other celebrities I've ever studied built businesses around their mountaintops. Perfume lines, clothing, merchandise, essentially things to reflect, skims, underwear, whatever, to, to reflect their mountaintops. Right. And I looked at her and I said, you are the first person I've met who's built an entire business by retreating to your deepest valley and creating around that. And essentially, my realization is the reason Jessica Alba was able to climb that second mountaintop while she was still on the, on the valley, uh, on the mountaintop of the first, is because she had the courage to go into her deepest valley, her deepest fear, and pretty much grab her fear by the collar, slam it down and say, what am I going to do about you? Mm. And the realization and what's changed within me moving forward and for anyone listening to this who's also sort of in a period of transition, is it's so easy for us when we're wondering what we want to do with our lives or do in our next chapter or do next. It's so easy to look from the perch of our mountaintops of wherever we are in our careers. But the reality is the thing that's actually going to fuel you to climb a mountain and push through all of the hardships is actually to go and have the courage to go into your deepest valley. And it sounds like that is a big theme of the documentary mm. that's coming out. Totally. You sort of are an embodiment of someone who's like uh, almost like constantly going into valleys and finding the fuel there. And what I'd like to tell people and what I try to remind myself is if you're struggling to feel motivated, if you're struggling to find your path in life, the answer is actually in that deepest valley and asking yourself where you struggled most when you were the most vulnerable and using that fuel to help people moving forward. Out of the shadow of the valley of death. That's exactly it. Yeah. There are diamonds in that valley. And you did not disappoint with your ability to tell a great fucking story, my friend. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful lesson and a beautiful story that we can all carry. And man, another thing that really stood out to me is the ability to have that kind of compassion mm -hmm. to not respond in the conditioned way oh i'm so sorry for your loss which is removed yeah displaced yeah. by her slamming her hand down and saying fuck like that's like that's like a level of almost like what you would want from a human a friend an authentic person like to be able to access instant vulnerability instant instant compassion with somebody you hardly know that's like instant real compassion you don't practice that it's no. not like that was like the hundredth time she's done that no, i was i was surprised i was shocked. right it was yeah. like but that that instinct is like so beautiful and to me <clears throat> you know elevates her in my mind to a person who's able to do something that's really a superpower like compassion is a superpower like the ability to feel to really feel yeah. what someone is feeling and to be able to do that instantly and and express that in that way without the kind of 
playing the role of someone who cares but to really fucking care man that's dope and that's another superpower that she has that's why she's a fucking she's a real life superhero yeah she's got superpowers yeah it takes one to know one man <laughs> i love you brother thank you for coming this back is always again, man. so fun absolutely absolutely uh there's lots of you know of course the third door the book you know still a classic still get thank that you. but there's some new things that you got going on including this 30-day challenge people who want more where do they go um yeah if anyone ends up my my favorite thing is if anyone ends up doing the 30 challenge or reading the third door from this like let me know because it's what brings me joy yeah. so you know instagram twitter whatever's easiest for people it's at alex benayan um and i'm just very very grateful for you man yeah likewise and grateful for all of you thank you everybody goodbye I hope you enjoyed this show. If you're interested in any of the Fit for Service programming, make sure you check out fitforservice.com. I love you all and I'll see you next week.